This is part five in our series entitled Breaking the Chains. And in verse 22, Paul writes and says, But I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. Ready for this? Listen to what the people were hearing about Paul. That he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And in verse 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 24, it says, And they glorified God in me. The man that persecuted the church, the one that tried to destroy Christ, was rescued by none other than Jesus himself. The man that was known for persecuting Jesus was now preaching Jesus. And this transformation that took place in Paul's life could only have taken place through the power of Jesus working in him. And we know from what the Scriptures tell us because it was known, because it was known that only God can work in a person's life in such a way that they glorified God for the things that He had done in Paul's life. And you look at things in your own life and you're like, man, Lord, thank You so much for the great things You have done. Wow, Lord, this is amazing. Only You could do such a transforming work in my life. And we praise the Lord for that. You notice here that there weren't any people saying what an amazing job Paul did in cleaning up his life and getting himself together. They weren't applauding Paul. Great job. Way to take care of the things in your life that needed to change. You know, through that hard work and the determination that Paul had, You know, he's no longer hunting down Christians and persecuting Jesus. No, it doesn't say that. It says they glorified the Lord working in his life. And now we pick up in this recap of Paul's conversion in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 2. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Point number one this morning, I've entitled, Changed by the Gospel. I only have two for you here today. But point number one is changed by the Gospel. Now, people are known to change. I don't know if you've noticed that, but sometimes people just change. Some for the better, some for the worse. Maybe in your hometown, you were known as one person during your school years. Maybe you were known as that guy or that girl. And people remember you as being such and such of a person. But you grew up. You left. And your life changed. Maybe you've been away from your hometown for a while now. Maybe your reunion's coming up or something like that this summer. And you head back to your hometown. And you're a changed person. I know I have my 20-year high school reunion coming up this summer. And uh, for some of you, you might think, man, you're extremely old. And others of you think, oh, you're just a kid. Uh, I remember when my parents had their 20-year reunion, and I thought, man, you guys are so old, and now it's come to my time, and man, how things have changed, but also, some things haven't changed. You look on Facebook, and you see the people that you went to high school with, and they're still doing the same exact thing that they were doing, and they're 14, and 15, and 16, and 17, and 18. They're just a lot older now, and a lot more worn out. You know, because you can't take that kind of abuse your entire life. Some people change for the better. Some people change for the worse. It was 14 years for Paul since he converted to Christianity and began preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He left Jerusalem, remember, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, 
One who lived his life according to the law of Moses. And he even said he was blameless as far as the rules and regulations went. He was filled with zeal, the Bible tells us, in attempting to shut down the followers of Jesus. He fought against the work of the Holy Spirit. Again in verse 1, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now, most Bible scholars believe that the period of time from Paul's conversion to his return to Jerusalem uh, was 14 years. And we know that because it says it in verse 1, in case you were wondering. Jerusalem was command central and the base of operations for Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as Paul, to run his operations against the church of Christ. Jerusalem was the hub. This is where he was based out of. We could say, I guess, all of his ops to destroy Christianity were run out of Jerusalem. But he was returning home changed. He wasn't the same man that he was leaving Jerusalem as he would be returning to Jerusalem again. 14 years had gone by. And in verse 2 it says, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Now, there were many in Jerusalem that had come to faith in Jesus that were previously Pharisees. They had come out of Judaism, the, the, the following of the law of Moses, and they began to follow Jesus. Yet, they were still following the traditions of the law of Moses. And not only were they following those things in addition to follow, following Jesus, they, they believed that in order to be saved, you couldn't just follow Jesus, you also had to follow the law of Moses. You had to keep the law of Moses as well as have faith in Jesus in order to be saved. Part of that meant being circumcised for the men. And really, this was a general mindset of those that were in Jerusalem. Now, this was a very, very important issue that needed to be dealt with delicately. Delicately. See, Paul knew the mindset of the Jew and the Pharisee for he was a Jew and he was formerly a Pharisee. See, For all intents and purposes, for us to be on the same page this morning, a Pharisee has become synonymous with someone that was legalistic. Legalistic. It's important to note as well that legalism is adding to the requirements to please God that are found in the Bible. Someone that is legalistic is adding, in addition to what the Bible says pleases the Lord, they are adding rules and traditions and things on top of that. Pharisees were known to add to the teachings of the Scriptures. Now, even today, we see that there are Christians that can be caught up in a church culture that is extremely legalistic. And it stifles the work of the Holy Spirit in the church where there are additional burdens that are laid upon people that require them to earn their salvation through fulfilling these deeds. These Traditions or things that are added on top of what the Bible says is necessary for salvation are completely contrary to the teachings found in God's Word concerning the Gospel of grace. Grace, which is the unmerited blessings that God gives you because you have faith in Jesus. The blessings of knowing God personally, being forgiven of your sins, and knowing that you're going to heaven, not because you were good enough, but because Jesus paid the price for your sin. 
That's the gospel of grace. By grace we've been saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So legalism was adding to the requirements found in God's Word for righteous living. And there are churches even still today that will say it's not enough for you to have faith in Jesus for salvation. You need to do these other things in order to be saved. We need to understand as Christians that you cannot receive grace and attempt to pay your way to heaven at the same time. Paul wrote about this in Romans 11, verse 6. He says, and if it's by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And what he's saying there is that if you're working your way to heaven, then it's not about grace. But if it is about grace, then you cannot work your way to heaven. And we know that the Bible says no man is righteous before the Lord or can earn his way to heaven through his own works. By grace we have been saved. So, back in our Scriptures this morning, in Galatians, the the Jews in Jerusalem were followers of Jesus and they had a very difficult time of letting go of the traditions. Now listen to this. For these, tra- uh, these traditions, they equated their traditions with righteousness before the Lord. They thought that if we did these certain things that are on top of what the Bible says, this equates righteousness. So if they washed their hands in a certain way, that was righteousness before God. It just so happened that the religious leaders of Jesus' day began holding their traditions as equal, if not more important than God's Word. Jesus addressed this issue in Mark 7, verses 9 and 13. Jesus said to the religious leaders, you all too well reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And in so doing, you're making the Word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. And so you can see how somebody that's caught up in the mindset of trying to earn their way to heaven, be a good enough person, can be trapped by feeling, I have to do these things in order to be good enough to get to heaven. See, legalism and even tradition can have a very strong hold on people. And it can even get to the point where man's traditions become more important than living out the will of the Lord. I'm more concerned with holding fast to a tradition than I am in living out what God's Word says. And so the truth of by grace through faith we're saved was taking time to work itself out in the Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem. And so Paul knew that in order to reach them in an effective manner that he had to use tact. He needed to address this situation delicately. See, even today, guys, there are certain churches that are steeped in tradition and they say that unless you're practicing the traditions of that church, you are not truly part of their church. So Paul is back now in Jerusalem after a number of years sharing with the Jewish Christians regarding the message of the Gospel of grace, which we know today. That same message. But not only that, that, here's the real kicker. The Jews didn't believe that the Gentiles could be saved. 
So Paul's out there preaching the gospel of grace to the Gentiles, those outside the Jewish faith. And now he's going to come back to Jerusalem and not only tell them that it's by grace that we're saved, not through traditions, but he's going to tell them the people outside the Jewish faith and the Jewish community and the Jewish line, they are receiving Jesus and having a relationship with God. See, the Jews didn't believe that if you were a Gentile, you could be saved. This is very important because most of us here today are Gentiles, meaning we're not Jews, meaning that if we lived according to what the Jews taught by their traditions, we would not have a chance to know God personally. So this is very important because there is a major issue in the church, in early church history that's getting worked out that has affected us positively today in 2018. See, Jesus, as we know, He came to the people of Israel. That's what they believe. We remember that. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and the Gentiles are still cast out. So Paul, understanding the sensitive nature of what he would be discussing with the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem, he had private conversations with them. And I went up by revelation and communicated, verse 2, to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Paul is known for being a man who knew how to be all things to all men. And particularly, he knew how to reach his audience. See, when you address someone's tradition, It's very easy for them to take it very personally and even view it as an attack. Because depending on how you were raised, your traditions become a part of who you are. They become a part of your identity. Even your culture, your traditions are part of your culture and we equal our traditions with our relationship with God. And when somebody comes and says that traditions, though they may be important, do not equal righteousness, we can take that very, very personally. Because you're attacking me, you're attacking my family, you're attacking my heritage, you're attacking my culture. And so Paul knew how to address this very sensitively. Paul was not about to blow this opportunity or what he calls running in vain. I'm not going to run in vain by stirring up contention at this particular time or in addressing these things in an insensitive way. Yet, even with the fact that he was outnumbered in this case because he was in Jerusalem surrounded by people that, didn't not, that did not share his viewpoint at this time. He did not back down. Nor was he pressured into conceding his view based upon the knowledge of the truth of God's Word. As it says in verse 3, yet not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred, verse 4, because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they may bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the Gospel might continue with you. So he's telling the Galatians, this is the experience that we had in Jerusalem back in the beginning days. That false brethren came in there to spy out our liberty. Liberty from what? It wasn't talking about the liberty and freedom that we have from sin. The forgiveness of sins. The power to overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was talking about the liberty that we have through grace. By receiving Jesus, I am not bound to man's traditions or to a legalistic view of adding on top of God's Word things to be saved by. 
I'm not bound to those things. I am free from those things. For those of you that have come from churches that are maybe uh, could be considered heavy shepherding, that they add things on top of what the Lord says in His Word and you feel the kind of pressure when you go to a place that teaches God's Word and you find that there is actually freedom and liberty through faith in Jesus, it's very relieving. So Paul stood up against legalism and the, might I just say, the add-ons to faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Really, this if you're taking notes, and I know we're, we're going to town on this, but legalism 101 is really this. It's not enough to have faith in Jesus. You must add, now fill in the blank, this thing in order to be saved. So anyone that is telling you that you need something in addition to faith in Jesus in order to be saved can be considered legalistic. Pharisaical. We sling that word legalistic sometimes when there are people that are saying you should follow God's Word. Now, if you are a follower of God's Word, that's not legalistic. That's actually being like Christ. So if somebody says, hey, you can't tell me that, or you shouldn't be doing this uh, because this is what God's Word says, that's not legalistic. That's actually wisdom coming from God's Word. If somebody's telling you, hey, you know, on top of what you believe in Jesus and the things that God tells you in His Word to do, you must do these things and this other thing and that thing, that's legalism. So certain people today will even visit other churches. You'll be blown away by this. (laughs) They visit other churches and they tell people in the church that they're not truly saved unless they attend their church. This is a serious thing. And people, you don't know how many people have been hurt and burdened and led astray by people coming into the church saying, you're not going to the true church. Now listen, we don't take time to bash people. And that's not our goal. To educate you in certain things, yes. Because I've dealt with this for a number, and number, a number, a number of years. Probably 15 years now where there are certain churches that really cause people to be burdened. The church of Christ believes that unless you're baptized by their church, then you're not saved. You're not saved. And so for years, especially when I was back at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, we'd have these phone calls come in all the time where people from the church of Christ would be like, you guys are leading people astray and you're telling them that they're saved through faith in Jesus alone and that they're not baptized yet. And I said, that's not what we say. That's what the Bible says. And then I presented a question to them. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Let's say somebody puts their faith in Jesus, has this radical conversion, and on the way to the baptism, they get in a car accident and they die. I said, God forbid that ever happened, but let's just say that's what happens. Are you going to tell me that that person is going to hell because they only had faith in Jesus? And there was never anything they could say about that. It's legalism. You're adding on top of what God's Word says. There's also a church that's called the local church. And they teach that there's only one true church. And unless you go to their true church, then you are apostate. You also have to dress a certain way in order to attend their church. In Colossians 2, verse 8, it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. 
So we see that there are Christians that can be cheated or led astray through philosophy and empty deceit, which is really an intellectual, seemingly highly intelligent view of the world coupled with maybe even Gnosticism or mysticism. We can see that Christians are led astray by the traditions of men, not God. Basic principles of the world, things that are not according to Christ. See, traditions do not save you. Changing morally doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And this is the key. It's what God has done, not what I have done or what I need to do. See, salvation is the work that God has done. Legalism is the work that man must do. Salvation brings glory to God. Legalism brings glory to man. Salvation means the work is finished. Legalism means the work has only begun. Salvation says gift. Legalism says earn. Salvation is inward to outward. Legalism is outward then stops. And so Paul is coming back to Jerusalem a changed man because of the Gospel. So he was changed by the Gospel. Point number one. And point number two is in defense of the Gospel beginning in verse 5. It says, to whom we did not yield submission. These false brethren that crept into the church. He says, to whom? We did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So this is Paul defending the gospel of legalism back in the day. You know what's weird about this is that unfortunately now he is here with the Galatian church having to deal again with the issue of legalism in the church. I dealt with this years and years ago. And now it's resurfaced again in the church of Galatia. This issue of legalism, tradition, and the fear of man really has been a plague to the church. But see, those that seek to add to what the Bible says is necessary for salvation, they trouble those that are in the church. In verse 6 it says, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now sometimes in church there are people that may think a little too highly of themselves. Uh, They have maybe been perceived. They have this perceived prominent position in the church or have some authority and it's gone to their head. They tend to have maybe some sway or some pull on the people in the church and history shows us that those individuals negatively affect the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. They trouble the people in the church and bring trouble to those who want to be a part of the church. Those that may use their position of influence for selfish gain. Use their way with people in order to promote their own agenda. It causes nothing but trouble when you add rules in addition to salvation through faith in Jesus. It troubles people. Not only does it trouble the church, it's also very annoying. It's very annoying. It's troubling when roadblocks are placed in front of people turning to God. Where we have hoops that people have to jump through in order to reach the Lord. I've shared this with you guys before, but 
In case you haven't heard it, it's worth mentioning again that even in the Amazon, when churches were planted and they were trying to reach the people indigenous to those regions, they told them that they had to wear a white shirt and black tie in order to go to church. You don't really find white shirts and black ties in that region. But they said you're not able to be respectable before the Lord unless you dress a certain way. A roadblock. And so if you didn't have your white shirt or black tie, then you weren't going to church that Sunday. I think this plays well with the misconception that some have today that they need to clean up their life in order to get right with God. The Lord doesn't tell us to stop being so sinful before we come to Him. He tells us in His Word that we are sinful. That means you. And yes, me. And that's why we need to come to Him. He doesn't say try to be better and then come to the Lord. He says come just as you are. Come with your sin and your failures and all the things that you regret. And let the Lord change you. By grace, you've been saved. It's not you earning your way. The price has already been paid. So this is what we're enjoying now is what was being worked out in the early church. Too often. I think it's very sad that the church addresses the symptoms of sin without getting down to the issue of sin. See, treating the problem, really the symptoms of the problem, doesn't remove the problem. We'll speak out against symptoms of sin. Hey, you shouldn't be doing this, and you shouldn't be doing that, and this is wrong before the Lord. Yes, those things are great, but if you stop there and don't deal with the issue of sin, then you are giving, really, hey, here's some Advil for the headache that's caused by your brain tumor. The issue is the tumor. The tumor needs to be removed. And you can try to fight against the symptoms of sin and never deal with the issue of sin, and the problem perpetuates itself. See, the problem is is that man is born with a sinful nature, and it manifests itself in in an array of different themes and habits and lifestyles and choices. It may be one thing for this person and something completely for that person, but you know what's the same with both? Sin. Sin comes out of that person's life that way, and that person's life another way, and that person's life that's that, that different of a way. And the issue isn't the symptom, the issue is sin. And the only treatment for the problem of sin is Jesus Christ. That's it. This is the Gospel of grace. You can't remove your own sin. You can't cover your own sin. You can't be good enough to outweigh your sin. Sin is still there. And the only thing that removes it is faith in Jesus. And this was the Gospel of grace of Jesus that Paul was preaching and defending against legalism. And instead of being influenced by influential people in the church that were legalistic, he says, but from those, verse 6, who seemed to be something, whatever they were, they had a lot of pull. They were pretty popular. It makes no difference to me, for God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. And I think in verse 6, for all of us, is a very important principle for the Christian life. It's very important. Do not be intimidated by man. They may be more powerful. They may be more popular or more wealthy. But God's not intimidated by man. And He is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't have double standards and He's not swayed from His will by the influence of man. 
Well, who am I to speak out against them? They're like really popular and they have way more followers than I do. Who am I to stand up for righteousness when I feel like I'm outnumbered and I know they're probably going to disagree with me? See, Paul was not swayed by the influential leaders in Jerusalem even pressuring him to have Titus adhere to the law of Moses. No. Not even for an hour, he says. I'm not even going to allow this to happen for a second. We are not going to water down the gospel. We are not going to change the message of faith in Jesus alone for salvation ever. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or how popular you may be. He says we didn't give in to them. God is not a respecter of persons and I'm not going to change what the Bible says because I have powerful people pressuring me to do so. He says, but on the contrary, verse 7, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. So he's saying they recognized Paul had been called to reach the Gentiles with the same gospel. And the same God who had worked through Paul, he says, he who worked through Peter was also working through me. He who worked through Paul was also working through Peter. This is a huge thing in church history. Verses 7 and 8 changed the course of church history. This is a very, very important thing for you to know as a follower of Jesus what exactly happened here in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. This is one of the major things that he's addressing to the church of Galatia that happened in Jerusalem. You can read about it in the book of Acts. So here's one of the major issues in early church, in the early church that was resolved in understanding this, that the same gospel would be presented with different packaging to those that needed it. The content doesn't change. The content of the gospel is the same. The packaging may look a little different. And that's okay. For Paul, he was called to share the gospel with the Gentiles. For Peter, he was called to share the gospel with the Jews. Now, even in Orange County, there are a variety of amazing Bible-teaching churches filled with Christians that worship the Lord. And they teach the Word of God in a variety of different ways. See, I love how God meets people exactly where they're at. You're not changing the message of the Gospel, you're changing the packaging of it. The way that you present it, you know your audience, you know the things that they struggle with, you know that the needs that they have. And maybe in one part of the world, you would preach the same Gospel in a particular way, and in another part of the world, you would preach the same Gospel in a different way. When we were in India, the preaching of the Gospel was told strongly through stories, because their culture loves stories. And that was a great way of sharing the gospel. When we go down to the city of Watts, and we did Monday Nights Live in the city of, the Watt, of Watts, and, and the way that the gospel was preached there was different than the way it was preached in India, but the message was the same. Faith in Jesus alone. And so they recognized, the church council there recognized the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. The gospel is going to go to the Jews. And God has raised up particular people to meet those needs in a special way. And it says in verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace 
that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. It just means the Jews, those that adhere to the law of Moses. See, God has called some to the downtown cities to reach the celebs, to reach the hipsters. And you know what? That's great. God's called others to reach suburbia and the land of minivans. And that's cool too. And as Paul is recalling this instance in his life to the Galatians, he's in a way already dealing with the false teachers who had crept into the Galatian church and were troubling them by adding to faith alone in Jesus for salvation. Even by him recalling this occurrence in his life, he is already addressing the issue of those that had crept into the church with legalism, particularly with Judaism, the law of Moses, meaning you need to follow Jesus and keep the law in order to be saved. And so Paul says, hey, we dealt with this a long time ago. And this is what was stated by the Jewish Christians. They understood the message of the Gospel. And so finally, as we close with the Jerusalem Council encouraging Paul really to remember the poor, and then they sent him on his way. It says in verse 10, and then they desired, so after they gave him the right hand of fellowship and said, yes, we're in on this. This is the Gospel. And we know that you're sent to the Gentiles as Peter is sent to the Jews. They desired only, verse 10, that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. And so Paul, a man changed by the Gospel, and then a man called to defend the Gospel and preach the Gospel. What a cool story. What an amazing part of church history where a man left his hometown, his city of Jerusalem, where he ran attacks against the church. Comes home a changed man where he's defending the Gospel that he once tried to destroy. And then we see the Gentiles being reached by the Gospel of Christ. In Ephesians 2, 8-9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's why we're even here today. Because it's not by our works, but by faith in Jesus that we are made whole, that we are forgiven of our sins, that we have newness of life, that we have eternal security in knowing that what needed to be done has already been accomplished for Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Finished. And so today, being the first Sunday of the month of June already, is Communion Sunday. And it is a great, great way for us to kick off this month, especially in understanding what we have gone over today in the book of Galatians. Uh, We're going to observe communion. I'm going to invite the men to come forward and they're going to distribute to you the bread and the cup. And I'm going to ask that you would please hold your bread and your cup. Uh, Don't partake of the communion until I come back out on stage and we will take communion together as a family. So would you please join with me as we pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for this opportunity to be in this house of worship, to be able to learn from Your Holy Scriptures. And Father, I pray that You would continue to bless Your people, to bless Your church. Lord, I ask for any that are here today, Lord, that may have walked away from You, Lord, I ask that they would come back to You and put their faith in You. That they would recommit their life to You today. 
Lord, I ask that if there are any here that have never put their faith in You, that today they would choose to be forgiven of their sins and filled with Your Holy Spirit. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here today and maybe you know, you've walked away from the Lord, maybe at one point in your life you were walking strongly with the Lord, but you've made a series of decisions that have dishonored the Lord. Just call it for what it is. And you've sinned and you've backslidden. If today you would like to recommit your life to the Lord, then very simply, very simply, I'm going to ask with every eye closed and head bowed, if you know that you're not where you should be, and you would like to recommit your life to Jesus today, that you would raise your hand with every eye closed and head bowed and say, yes, I'd like to recommit my life to Jesus today. Would you please keep your eyes closed, your head bowed, and just hold your hand up. And also today, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, maybe you would consider yourself a Christian, maybe you grew up in church, but you've never been born again. Maybe even that phrase is foreign to you. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. What that means is to be made alive spiritually. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never been born again, and you would like to be forgiven of your sins, with every eye closed again and every head bowed, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. And if you're watching from some other place today, I can lead you in the same prayer. And if that's you, whether you're recommitting your life to the Lord or putting your faith in Him for the first time. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to just repeat it after me and meet it in your heart and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned, but I ask that You would forgive me of my sin and fill me with Your Holy Spirit. I thank You that You love me. I thank You that You sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be. For I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, now as we receive communion, Lord, we say thank you for the great things that you've done. And we remember your death and your resurrection until you come to take us home. In Jesus' name.